It's baseball season, and Mark Diono, one of the best columnists in New Jersey, has hit it out of the park with a new novel about so much more than baseball. He'll join us for a seventh inning stretch on this week's Jaffe Podcast. You're listening to the Jaffe Podcast, brought to you weekly by Jaffe Communications. Life imitates art for Mark Diono, today's guest on the Jaffe Podcast, a Pulitzer Prize finalist and four-time winner of the New Jersey Press Association's award for column of the year. Mark is a syndicated columnist for hyper-local news outlet Tap Into. His 2012 debut novel, The Last Newspaper Man, chronicles the rise of tabloid journalism in rough-and-tumble 1930s New Jersey through the eyes of hard-boiled everyman reporter Fred Haynes. It's a fitting metaphor for the state of media in New Jersey today, as established institutions struggle to hold on to influence against the headwinds of social and technological change. Mark's new novel, Gods of Wood and Stone, is also a portrait of a changing America, this time against the background of another of our nation's time-honored traditions, baseball. Gods of Wood and Stone is available anywhere great books are sold, and we're so grateful that an old friend is in our podcast studio today. Mark, welcome to the Jaffe Podcast. Thanks, John. Thank you. So where to begin? We have a gentleman in the office, a gentleman in our podcast studio who has so many years covering New Jersey and uh, such. Um, and before that, you were at the New York Post as a, as yes, a sports, sports writer. writer huh? Sports and, columnist. Sports columnist. And um, I think we should probably just start with, with the book. And um, I don't know when you get time to write these, write five of them, especially when you were busy at the Star Ledger at the well, same time. Yeah, and I have six <laughs> kids, too. Um, <laughs> and basically, uh, the youngest four, I was the custodial parent of them for um, – all through their uh, middle school, high school, and college years. Mm-hmm. So it, people used to say, when do you get time to write? And I used to say, well, in the 25 minutes between the time I drop that kid off at soccer right. and pick that kid up at football. Right, and it's right, really right. true. It's uh, I, I write about a half an hour, 45 minutes, or at tops, an hour and a half or two hours a day, and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, squeezed in uh, between, you know, work and getting to the gym and all the things I do. Yeah. Well, I think that writers in general um, need to write. You know, it's not something that I don't think that you writing this book or anything else I don't think has ever been a chore to you. I think- well, it's a chore in that it's a, it's a chore in that you want to finish it. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm, I agree with what you're saying, which is why the, I picked up the Tap Into column. Mm-hmm. I left the Star Ledger in December, and um, I just felt that uh, it was the right time for me to leave the Star Ledger and New Jersey Advanced Media. Mm-hmm. Um, it was absolutely uh, the right time for that, um, and the reason is that I had some, uh, you know, basic journalistic ethical issues with the way the website presents itself. Mm-hmm. You're talking about uh, NJ.com? NJ.com, mm-hmm. yeah. And I and everyone I've told that to basically agrees. Um, and we could talk about that forever. Mm-hmm. It's no, it's, it's uh, water under the bridge, right? right? right, right. But I started, um, you know, because of you and, and Bruno uh, Tedeschi and the other people uh, um, affiliated with Tap Into, I thought here's a good way to stay, uh, stay uh, keep my voice alive draw attention to my website where my books are sold Mm -hmm. and um you know i've got a name in the state sometimes it's hard for me to believe Mm -hmm. 
But uh, when when I call people or I need to get in touch with people, you know, it's there's still that residual number of people who either read the paper mm-hmm. or you know still read the paper that uh, you know recognize the name, and that's good. That's very rewarding. And you know, I'm 62 years old. I don't want to jump off that that too soon. Right, right. So I want to talk to you about a few things today. I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about a little bit more about tap into, and I also want to talk about your perceptions of journalism in New Jersey, okay. which a lot of our listeners are very interested in. Well, so, let's start there. Okay. Because, there. you know, <laughs> let's do that. Let's start there because okay. I think we are the most underserved state in, in, the, uh, in the country mm-hmm. when you talk about the major journalism uh, corporations. And that's been a problem since the 1700s. Well, you know, but it's been <laughs> exasperated, uh, you know. So, so um, you know, we're owned by, uh, you know, everyone. Uh, I think every major paper in the state is owned by either Gannett or the New Houses, mm-hmm. except for the Atlantic City Express. You might know the, the better pre- than that. The Press of AC? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who owns that, honestly. Uh, actually, it's uh, uh, Warren Buffett. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, his okay. company owns that, okay. last I heard. He sees it as a good investment. I guess so. <laughs> uh, so every everyone else is owned by Gannett and, and the new houses, and they have both followed what I call that model of uh, diminishing relevance. Mm-hmm. You fire reporters, you cut to the bone, and mm-hmm. there's no urgency to read the product. Mm-hmm. On NJ.com now, they're they're actually recirculating lists you know, old, old lists. Old lists. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, we we rate the hundred best mm-hmm. breakfast cereals, mm-hmm. and you know, it came yeah. out first in two thousand and sixteen, and they're retreading it. Um, so I think that you know, local news. And, and by the way, I've got to say this: the New Jersey Advanced Media State House and some of their uh, their other uh, work has been really good, really good journalism. And I mean, you still have Sue Livio there, sure. who was probably the the prominent healthcare writer yeah, in New Jersey. Ted, Ted Sherman's Ted still Sherman there. there. Yep. Uh, Suzanne Pevkovich, a behind-the-scenes editor, is still there. Um, Andre Malak, a videographer who uh, was uh, is an amazing talent, uh, is there, but underutilized because, you know, they only do these 30 snippet, Mm -hmm. you know, social media things. Uh, But man, that guy did two, uh, shot two documentaries that I think he's got three, two or three Emmys under his Mm -hmm. belt. Um, So there's a lot of good work that still goes on, but the overall problem is that there is, everyone has abandoned local news. Yes. Nobody is in the towns. Mm-hmm. Nobody, there aren't that many feet on the ground. Imagine all these council meetings every day that sure. no one covers. I, I, let me just say, um, in tw- 20 years, 25 years ago when I was at the paper, when it was a very different paper, I would go to South River, okay? And I would go to a planning board meeting. And if I didn't show up at that planning board meeting, I got scooped by the Sentinel, I got scooped by the Home News, and I got scooped by the News Tribune mm-hmm. for a planning board meeting in South River. Sure. I challenge you to find out when the last time any reporter <laughs> showed right. up, even at a South River council meeting. They, there's no one there. And r- really, rep- you know, it used to be that councils would wait until the reporters left the room before they got to the real business of the right. day. But now they can just do it with impunity. Sure. And, and and so people that might be listening will say will say ah well so what you don't go to a planning board meeting, but 
this the next thing you know you have a uh, uh you know a uh, a mixed use seven acre um you know strip mall mm-hmm. down your block mm-hmm. and everybody says what happened how mm-hmm. we didn't even know this was going on right and and i have seen that time and time again with development where i live mm-hmm. where people don't know what's going on mm-hmm. they don't go to the meetings they they rely on the press Mm-hmm. You know, they used to rely on the press to right. tell them what was going on. That mm-hmm. was the that was our duty. Mm-hmm. That was the service that mm-hmm. you gave as a member of the media. Yep. When you take when you take people out of the element, and you lose sense of place. You know, New Jersey is not one big swath of bedroom community. And I've been telling you know mm-hmm. my reporters that work for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, new ones. You've heard mm-hmm. this a million times. Mm-hmm. The kids would come in the door. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Illinois. Well, here's what you should know about New Jersey. Every town has a unique history, mm-hmm. a different vibe to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not the cartoon that you have heard about, mm-hmm. right? So when you lose that sense of place, right. you lost everything. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a great story. Sure. So I go to this thing. Joe Piscopo is, uh, is, is trying to raise money for this movie. And my editor at the... Uh, at the, How um, long ago was this? Just this was just a le- few months ago. Oh, okay. I'm still at the Star Ledger. Mm-hmm. So I write this lead. Mm-hmm. Joe Piscopo was singing the national anthem, not as Francis Scott Key <laughs> intended, but as Francis Albert Sinatra would <laughs> sing it. Right. You could almost see the bombs bursting in air over the Bayonne Bridge uh-huh. rather than Fort McHenry. Right, right, right. The jackass editor takes out the Bayonne Bridge line. Yeah, you know, because he's from someplace else, he and he moved it. to he Jersey. Get it. <laughs> yeah, he moved to Jersey City two years ago, and now he's a Jersey guy yeah, yeah. because yep, they write yep, the, yep. the best restaurants in Hoboken. Yep. He knows everything yep. about New Jersey. Yep. You know, and that's, that's that was the, that was by the way in your first tap into column, you mentioned people move to Jersey City and act yeah. like they know New Jersey. Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, you know, one of the um, the pieces I thought, and and I I remember emailing you on Thanksgiving that. Mm-hmm. Um, the best column, I think, I've read your stuff for years. The best column, I thought, was your Giving Thanks column yeah. on Thanksgiving. And yeah. I, I hope you got tons of feedback on sure, that. I did. Because that hit right to the soul. And I was like, on one hand, I'm like, this is a great column. On the other hand, I'm like, shit, we're going to lose Mark Diono because he's retiring because this is yeah. a swan song. So yeah. you, you recognize that was like a foot out the door it, it, it column. It was yeah. a foot out the door column. Yeah. But it was, it, was, it was beautifully written. And um, it's something that I hope uh, – people read a few times well that's why I, that's that's kind of why i'm doing the tap into thing john mm-hmm. because there are these great stories the, the stories that people remember are really not about you know that i've written i should say are about those kind of universal feelings that as a writer we're blessed you're blessed i'm blessed that we can put those things in words mm-hmm. um the the columns that people remember the most that i've written were about my Chevy truck. Your motorcycle accident? My motorcycle accident. <laughs> my, my Chevy truck that I, I had to, I had to uh, turn in during cash for clunkers because it had 367,000 miles on it. And this, you know, this ode to this vehicle that I'd raised my family in. Yeah. Uh, one about my daughter going to her last day of high school. And the, 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 both, for both of us, it was the, the, the first day of the rest of our lives because yes. she was done with school. You know, she's and, the last of the kids. And you were the first one to put a different spin on the story of the pooper intendant. Yeah. Well, that's um, – That was – Truth be told, uh, I have 
this is why I left the paper because um, I had issues with an editor there over taking ownership of what we did to this guy's life as an industry. Mm-hmm. And this, by the way, for people who don't know, this was the general, the Kenilworth School Superintendent who had been charged with uh, defecating on the Homedale High School track field, which very quickly, within 24 hours, became a national joke. National joke. And you wrote a very different column about it. Well, you know, first of all, what what was presented to the press was salacious and very strange and weird. And the and, with his mugshot, and with his mugshot, which was illegally released, mm-hmm. um, because in New Jersey you, you're not supposed to take mugshots of people that are not charged with an indictable offense. Mm-hmm. So. Um, in the old days, we would have questioned that police report. We would have called and said, well, when you say on the field, was it on the field mm-hmm. or in the vicinity of the mm-hmm. field? When, what time of day did it happen? Mm-hmm. Was it light or dark? You know, was mm-hmm. he alone at the track? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but the press release that, that the police put out, uh, Homedale police, made it sound like the guy went on the 50-yard line. And it began this whole stupid, crazy speculation about how he they were a rival school or some idiocy like that, which begins to take hold. Now, you and I know that, and I have talked to roomfuls of rooms full of lawyers on this. When the media sets a narrative, you cannot undo it. Right. The truth doesn't matter. The media has set a narrative, and I've always recommended to lawyers that they get out in front of those narratives. Right? Yep. So... In this narrative, we have a serial, you know, guy who's going every day, which is what they put in their press release, um, on the field, which is in the press release, and none of that's true. They they set up a camera after a couple of episodes mm-hmm. behind the bleachers. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's running at five o'clock in the morning. It's mm-hmm. dark. Mm-hmm. Okay. The guy pled guilty to one count. It's a five hundred dollar fine. It's the same charges urinating in public, which find a man that hasn't done that. Mm-hmm. I did it twice last week. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in Hoboken. Yeah, no, not in Hoboken. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, it, and we destroyed this guy's life. This guy's life was destroyed, destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it's a great story of, like, the digital damage that newsrooms should be more careful about mm-hmm. than less. Mm-hmm. So yep. your your editor, when you said you would um, clashed with him, you know wh- what was he saying? What were you saying? What did he well, did he want to just blow this? Even, in, well, you know he you know he, this is this is this is you know Wizard of Oz coward cowardice, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm going to name him. His name is Chris Kelly, okay. I, and I don't know. Him. And people should know that because mm-hmm. his name should be his his name should be linked to this mm-hmm. just the way. Tom Tramaglini's mm-hmm. life and name has been linked to it. The superintendent. The superintendent. Chris Kelly says to me, um, well, we didn't, you know, shit behind the bleachers. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't get arrested. Mm-hmm. All we're doing is covering the story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. You know, they wrote 18 stories about the guy, like in the first two cycles. They did everything they could to get the name, you know, Super Pooper or Pooper Attendant mm-hmm. in a headline. Mm-hmm. They used the guy's clickbait. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it because this is a story that would be a one-day thing in the paper, if at all, disappear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but you continue to generate these headlines. Now, once that happens, the damages that are done, the damage that's done in this aggregation world mm -hmm. is incalculable. Mm -hmm. You know, there's story if you Google this guy's name now, there's stories that come in from London. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. everybody's on the story. And, and so to be so reckless with with something without without any conversation about how is this going to impact a guy who's essentially you know a minor public figure mm -hmm. and what he did has nothing to do with his job mm -hmm. okay and which is a news element i mm -hmm. think right to do that without a conversation but just like hey let's just go do this let's go have fun with it and that that guy i heard that guy say that Let's have fun with this. Oh, shit. Did he um, – did you guys try to get an interview with him? I got an interview with him. I got like the first that, that day, that next no, day? No, no, no. I got an interview with him at the after the adjudication of the oh, case. Okay. That's when I okay. wrote the column. But that was you know, weeks after. Oh, God. Yeah, his, his life his was, name already was already destroyed. Yep. Yeah. The column was about the fallout. You know, the, the column was about his life being destroyed, mm -hmm. that people should know that this guy that's a dartboard for your mm -hmm. entertainment – that he's a pinata for you to make mm -hmm. your stupid comments on nj.com. Right. His his life has been destroyed. Mm -hmm. And guess what? In this world today, it could happen to you. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody takes a video and they post it and the media, you know, says, "Hey, this is clickbait. Let's throw it up." Yep. It could happen to you. That's the whole business structure behind like TMZ. Well, here's the interesting those, part, John. Let me quasi journalism, but go ahead. Yeah, I don't mean to. I don't nope. mean. I don't mean to interrupt you, but here's the interesting part to me. If the digital media is hides behind the same press shields that we did in print journalism. Mm -hmm. However, is it malicious to write 15 stories about a guy who is charged with a municipal offense when your stated business model is? to get as many page views as we can, to get as many clicks as we can. If that's your stated business model, can you, you you're, 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 you're outweighing the value of the story right. by trying to generate as much interest in it as you can. Yeah. It, can that be seen as malicious? Yeah, yes, because it's not being, you're not being a news operation. Right. You're being a business entity. You know? I think so this the, guy the, has a hell of a case. Against 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 the media, the media entities that pounded the story. I mean, story but to the death. thing too is, unfortunately, it's all First Amendment. He's a public official. That's pretty much where the hard stop. A judge is going to look at that, say he's a public official. It's fair comment. No, that's not true. A public official is different than a public figure. So, a someone who works for the county, mm -hmm. right, is a public official. He's not. He's not an elected official. He's he's a paid he worker. He just has a public job. He has a public government job. job. A government job. He's a public job. So, by your definition, the secretary at the union township school board mm -hmm. is a public official. That if she gets caught doing something unrelated to her job, she's. A public official. If she gets caught stealing money from the school system, yeah, that's she's fair game. But if she gets picked up for drunk driving or something like that, do we make do do we make this a, a, an issue? Happens all the time. 
I mean, there are so many stories of uh, bad behavior by elected officials and public officials that have been reported on. I think with the, the superintendent, Josh, is that the, the argument the newspaper could make is that he deals with kids. He's an educator. Right. And so in that case, you know, people need to know that their educators are behaving poorly, which I think is different from, say, a zoning board secretary. I'm not – and I'm not arguing that point at all. I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been covered. It should have been covered. Responsibly. Responsibly. Mm-hmm. But at what point now – and this is, this is the argument – at what point are you piling on mm-hmm. right. to satisfy your business model mm-hmm. – rather than to cover the news. And if some judge somewhere sees that differentiation, that's going to open up a lot of a lot of arguments towards how the digital media behaves. I think it, it also, this is, by the way, a great discussion, but I, I think it also um, goes beyond that. And for example, in our world, putting on our public relations hats, you know, we are always pitching op-eds for our clients to the newspapers. Right. Okay. And when we get an op-ed placed, and it's, say it's on mycentraljersey.com or northjersey.com, you know, there's these comment sections. And we tell our clients, make sure you write comments because newspapers are following that. And if there's an interest in that op-ed, manufactured or whatever, we know that there's a lot better chance that they're going to write another op-ed on that if mm-hmm. you're not defining, or run another op-ed on it. If yeah. you're not defining the narrative, somebody else will jump in and mm-hmm. do it for you. Right. 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 But but you see how basically newspapers are saying, you know what, let's all play the game together. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll run your piece, fine, but you got to make sure there's some nice web traffic that comes to it. Otherwise, next time, you know, you could have the most relevant piece about the most important issue in New Jersey, but if no one cares, it's not going to see the light of day. Right. So, and so this, now this, this in, is a very pervasive issue sure, that goes far beyond, you know. Of, but, of course. Now, but, this is like saying, okay, you know, McDonald's makes the best hamburger because it sells the most. Not true. Right? <laughs> okay, fine. You know, uh, yeah. you're, this is like saying, you know, some blockbuster movie, you know, that off a, you know, made off some comic book mm-hmm. is the best best film because it generated the most amount of money mm-hmm. right right and when you follow that model mm-hmm. down to the sewer mm-hmm. you know well why are we all just having pornographic websites race to the bottom right. so race to the bottom so that said and we started our conversation talking about how there's nobody to cover planning board meetings there's nobody to cover local news other than tap into to me also nj advanced media could say hey mark we're trying to stay alive here mm-hmm we have X amount of legacy costs. We have X. We're still delivering newspapers mm-hmm. and trucks with mm-hmm. unions. You know, what's your grand idea? How do we stay alive if we don't do this? And I don't know if that answer is there, but I'd love to know. Well, I think that in, in, in the case of some of the websites, and I'm not going to single any of them out, um, the clickbait elements have, have overpowered everything else. Mm-hmm. And you could create a, a web page Mm -hmm. that basically says here's the stuff that you should know and here's the stuff that's fun Mm -hmm. but many of the web pages it's all interspersed Mm -hmm. right you know so there's you know with sponsored content mixed in as well mixed sponsored Mm -hmm. content mixed in as well so here's the story about um the 11 kids who died at the uh at the at the center in Mm wanakue next to a story about 
our favorite breakfast cereal. Yes, I see that. Yeah. Next to the story mm-hmm. about here's what uh, Emily uh, or uh, what's her name, uh, um, uh, 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 the Clampett girl. Uh, here's what what's her name Clampett looks like now. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you is that from the Beverly Hillbillies? The Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> what was her name? The, I don't know the daughter. Yeah. All I know is Jeb Ellie, Clampett. Ellie Clampett. Here's uh, what Ellie Clampett looks like now. You know, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. How, how does she look? Do I don't know? know. I think she's actually dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just showing yeah. my age. Yeah. I mean, so the the other thing, too, is that the price for entry into the New Jersey media world is very cheap. Mm-hmm. And I say that, that if Josh tomorrow said, you know what, I'm done working at Jaffe Communications. I'm going to go create my own news website, probably with about $500 and a template. Sure. Josh is a journalist. So sure. there's a lot of other stuff out there that if you put it up on social media, it appears to be real media. Right. So also, real journalists in New Jersey are constantly competing with, with fake media. And right, I hate using right. the word fake media because somebody yeah, else does. Course, but right. um, the point is, is that how does, a, how does journalism in New Jersey become profitable and stable? And two, how does it remain or how does it build on legitimacy? Well, this is a very interesting point because what I see from the media companies that are we're talking about is they've cheapened their brand name. Okay. You know, you have now made yourself not that authoritative, Relevant. reliable source yeah. because the clown car part of it mm-hmm. is what attracts most people, attracts most commenters, mm-hmm. and so you've you've lessened your legitimacy. Right. And to me, that's to me, right from the start, all we had, you know, was trust. Mm-hmm. That's all we had. Mm-hmm. You know, if people could trust us as a news source, just I'm talking about the media in general, then, then you know, we were viable. The trust has gone out of the media. I mean, this is just from, you know, this is, this is a long time coming. This has nothing right. to do with the guy in the White House. Right. People have started to distrust the media for uh, on a slope as long as I've been in the business. Mm-hmm. They've been bludgeoned by crime, by celebrity news they don't really care about, uh, by you know paper thin coverage of events, the stories that come and go, um, sensationalism, and I mean look at the numbers. I mean. You know, I I kind of think that there's a lot of self-inflicted wounds in our business. Mm-hmm. I I think that our business, John, is the the least introspective business that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I think the election bore that out. Mm-hmm. Like, how did we? What did we do here? Mm-hmm. You know, we yeah. let me let me just finish this with you, okay? What what did we do here? For ratings, we never took the camera off Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Yep, we did this. Mm-hmm. We did this. Mm-hmm. We never took the camera off that guy. Mm-hmm. On the other side, we never took Bernie Sanders seriously. Mm-hmm. We 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 created this election uh, dynamic. You know, th- these candidates were pushed into the into the fore by the media. Mm-hmm. Okay, now in the Trump side. Oh my God! We've created a monster. Let's destroy it, which then got the public public to to back him more. That election was a mandate on the media, mm-hmm. and as the media was pushing uh, pushing uh, Mrs. Clinton up, mm-hmm. people were rejecting the, their version of it. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, enough people for the guy to win the election. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is something that should have been looked at. And what did we do? Well, after the guy takes over office, it's the same pattern. Nobody changes the pattern. Mm -hmm. There's Fox. There's there's CNN. And and, and it's all this noise and Mm -hmm. none of and and everybody's just digging in and digging Mm -hmm. in and digging in to now a point where the Democrats have a hit list for their moderate mm-hmm. for their yep. moderate congressman. Yep. yep. Go ahead, Josh. What's so that? this is all kind of hovering around and begging the question, are we to blame? I mean, the general public, are we to blame? Because newspapers would say, well, we put out clickbait because people click on it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's what a newspaper would say. Like, we produce this content because people consume it. So mm-hmm. ultimately, if news sucks, we're the ones... To blame in a way the public because we're so, consumers of the it's product. Cons- you're saying consumer-driven news. I mean, if we're giving you, them we're giving them what they want. If you want better news, pay for it and consume it. <laughs> Honestly, I mean that. So yeah. how much are we, the yeah. general public? How much are we to blame for not demanding something better? Well, I think it's a, as you said earlier, Josh. It's the race to the bottom. Have we created? Has the media created a society that only wants that stuff? You know, you go to Europe and you sit on a subway train and people are reading newspapers and reading books. Mm -hmm. You know, the American entertainment juggernaut and communications juggernaut has taken our eyes away from reading. Mm -hmm. Um, If 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 we give the people a certain thing, they're going to be used to that thing. Right. Okay, so by your definition or. What you're saying is this this race to the bottom, the clickbait will win out, and we as an industry uh, give up. Now we're not gonna we're we're not going to try to lead and inform the public. We are going to follow the public. So here's an analogy I kind of draw. Let's not have any lawyers anymore. Okay. okay, so if you have a you have a gripe, come into court and you represent yourself. What do you need a lawyer for? Mm-hmm. What do you need an expert for? What do you need somebody who understands the law? Mm-hmm. Judge, that guy's he stole my money, and you know, mm-hmm. and let the judge decide. the 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 press should have been the professional vanguard of what what was important, what what the public really needed to know. Before it gets too late, mm-hmm. you know. And who gets to decide who the professionals are? Well, that's the thing. That's the question because the First Amendment does not draw a distinction between what. Yeah, you, you can't be to like as, a licensed reporter. Yeah, you can't pass an exam to become a reporter. Yeah, that's just right out. But how about how about a uh, how about some kind of uh, uh, you know trade organization? That says, "Hey, look, we would like to have these certain standards, and yeah. we're going to give you a stamp." You are a American yeah. journalism SPJ. Yeah. yeah, you know SPJ certified yeah. newspaper. You know, what, yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, but the thing was is that Josh, and this is important too, is that back in the day, um, newspapers self-regulated in that regard as far as professionalism, because when the Star Ledger had a Sunday circulation of seven hundred thousand, it was able to pick and choose the best reporters that were out there. Mm-hmm. So if you got hired by the ledger, it meant at the time that you had a brain in your head, you were responsible, and you had some experience elsewhere. So that so at the time, it was self-regulated. Then the thing is, is the whole entire industry tanked, 
And now it's just how do we fill the space? And who right. who is willing, honestly, who's willing to work for $22,000 a year? Now I'm watching these really talented kids that worked with me down at NJAM. You know, they're saying, like, you know, I just got married. We want to have a family. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to live. I can't live on this. And and, and by the way, in fairness, they're making pretty good livings down mm-hmm. there for a two-income family, mm-hmm. you know. If the spouse is making six figures doing yeah. something, mm-hmm. well, then their 55, 60, 50 mm-hmm. grand, 45 grand, you know, is augments the – but I was, I was able to raise six kids mm-hmm. on my newspaper salary. Those days are long and gone. You're the last one. I'm the last that. newspaper man. Yeah. Title of book of the first title of the first novel, by yeah. the way, available yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, thank, good plug. You can feel free to plug here. Um, I mean, one of the reasons why, and and I think I've told this to you in the past, the reason we're a public relations firm is back when I left the Ledger in 1999. I'm like. I, I want to have a family. I sure. want to have kids. I've sure. got three kids that all three are going to be going to college one day. And if I stayed in – I mean, there was one point where I applied for a job as the metro editor of the Courier News right. in like 2000. And I thank my lucky stars every single day that I did not get that sure. job because You'd imagine be... I would be stuck in Gannett for the past 20 years right, right. and basically like taking a vow of poverty. Let me let me um, tell you something that is is, is... – you know, self a self-inflicted confession here, mm-hmm. I guess. I had a great career. I could not have had a better career. And 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 working for the Star Ledger, you know, gave me uh, some, some you know, minor celebrity in my state, uh, launched me into uh, the book writing career, blah, blah, blah. I was also, because I had the job flexibility as a columnist, I was able to be home with the children that mm-hmm. were under my roof. But as they all began to go to college, I began to question myself and say, did I do the right thing? I had a great career. Mm-hmm. They're all taking out student loans. Was I selfish in that I stayed yeah. in a job that I loved mm-hmm. rather than do what you did, which is say, look, I got to look out for my family down the line and make sure that you know, I have the wherewithal to uh, to provide to, to yeah. provide for yeah. them. Now, yeah. like I said, you know, I'm I am like probably the last of the very well paid reporters. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably a couple left, but not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And and so that is mitigated. That mitigates my guilt in some way because. You know, the kids grew up in a great town. They went to a great school system. They took out loans that were not unreasonable. But as you know, John, you know, you're, you're, you're a smart guy. You know, you, you, you come in contact with guys that are much more famous than you, that have better jobs than you. And you mm-hmm. say to yourself, I'm just as smart as that guy. I could have done that. I could have been this. I could have mm-hmm. been that. You know, if I had made more investment in, you know, would I, you know, whatever. And I and I felt like that. Did I do enough for my family by doing something that I loved? And the people that are in the industry now will never get a chance to answer ask themselves right. that question because mm-hmm. they're going to leave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you are just going to have this constant yeah. turnover of people with no institutional knowledge, and yes. and some of them are so damn good. 
And if they're good, they will be employable elsewhere. We mentioned like Mark Mueller working for the state doing sure. phenomenal work. Sure, you know? sure. But listen, I want to switch over because I do want to talk about your book. Okay, and um, and I, it's funny, you know, you seem to always get drawn to two things: journalism and sports. Yeah, and it seems like in this book you kind of hit a little bit of both. So you want to give everybody a little idea of sure. what this is, and well, you know, here's one of the segues to uh, what we're talking about. To this book is this uh, very interesting part of it um, in, in the book about a, a thing called the Cardiff Giant, which in 1869 becomes America's first reality star in that it does nothing but lay there, mm-hmm. and it becomes a national sensation mm-hmm. based on new communication mm-hmm. in the media, mm-hmm. right? And at the time, the Cardiff giant is unearthed as the biblical mm-hmm. uh, Goliath and becomes the great American hoax. It's also in 1869, which is sort of the birth of popular culture and sports culture in that the Industrial Revolution is full underway. The Civil War is over, mm-hmm. and we're becoming an industrialized nation, mm-hmm. and people have spare time. Yep. And so 1869. Say, 1869, Rutgers versus Princeton. Rutgers versus had, Princeton. Right. <laughs> Rutgers <laughs> versus Princeton, the first college football game. Yeah. 1869, the Cincinnati Red Stockings were formed, <laughs> right. first professional baseball team. Yeah. 1869, the number of Broadway theaters you know what's what do you what's the what's the word uh, for exp- expands by twenty times, wow. right? Long just they just blow up. Yeah, eighteen sixty nine, P. T. Barnum, and the Freak Show mm-hmm. uh, Museum, mm-hmm. his big museum. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is the beginning of like what somebody says at the time, the Cornell president, Cornell University president, writing about this about the belief of this thing uses this phrase the truth of majorities Mm -hmm. and we are still stuck in the truth of majorities Mm -hmm. it's great Jersey Shore is a great show because this many people watch it Mm -hmm. and we're going to promote that show 10 million Elvis fans can't be wrong Right, 10 million (laughs) Elvis fans can't be wrong 200 million dollars made by this movie Mm -hmm. over a billion served by McDonald's (laughs) everything's measurable and when you are measuring everything mm-hmm. what gets lost and part of the part of the thing in the book that this this blacksmith mm-hmm. who is the main char- one of the main characters comes across is that America is unique in that we do not have an ancient culture we don't right we don't have an ancient culture we don't have a Michelangelo we don't have Leonardo da Vinci mm-hmm. we don't have Bach we don't have Mendelssohn we don't have you know the asian you know centuries old customs so we are totally on that constant roller coaster of the truth of majorities. Mm-hmm. Popular culture mm-hmm. is our culture. Mm-hmm. Popular media is mm-hmm. our culture. Mm-hmm. Connectivity is our culture, right? Which, by the way, to me, con- connectivity is really disconnectivity mm-hmm. because people are looking at a, a field, a vision that's as big as a mm-hmm. cell phone. Mm-hmm. And not realizing that the bus is coming down the street mm-hmm. that's going to flatten them in a minute. Yeah, because right? they're looking at their screens all they're the time. Look, yeah. yep. So you're disconnected mm-hmm. from the real world, right? So the book, there's an element of, of the book. Uh, that's an element of the book. There's mm-hmm. this blacksmith who's a throwback is sort of saying, what happened to our country? Mm-hmm. What happened to the intellect of the country? What happened to the uh, the connection that 
we used to have with with the 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 geologic mm-hmm. greatness of this country you know like the 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 the, the natural resources mm-hmm. and so he's raising a son who is a typical suburban sports oriented kid mm-hmm. the mom is his is his is his baggage carrier mm-hmm. he plays year round is, and, and i assume this is in jersey no this is in no. Co- this is in cooperstown oh okay okay and, and they live in the in the cooperstown area okay um and the blacksmith is saying no no this is no good i want this kid to learn about our authentic rural culture i want him to come back and traipse around the woods with me mm-hmm. i want him to look up at the stars and be able to recognize constellations i want i want him to be a rock collector mm-hmm. i want him to understand the world around him that is bigger than mm-hmm. whether he's any good in baseball mm-hmm. or not the right. problem is he's really good in baseball mm-hmm. and so the mother and he are at odds with this the second character in the book is a guy uh, the blacksmith's name is horace muller the the second character in the book is a guy named joe grudick who is a retired baseball catcher from the Boston Red Sox, mm-hmm. who grew up in Union, New Jersey, mm-hmm. in a, back when it was a blue-collar, mm-hmm. they had a manufacturing-based kind of town, yep. which I remember from mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Joe Grudick's narrative is about the alienation of celebrity. Mm-hmm. That when you are a celebrity in our celebrity culture, you are dehumanized. You know, people scream stuff at you mm-hmm. from the ble- from from the stands. Yep. You are besieged by people mm-hmm. as if you have no privacy. Mm-hmm. And then when that dries up, you're kind of adrift in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's kind of an interesting story um, and not one that's that unusual, except nobody ever, you know, once these people are dried up, or once, I should say, once their careers are over, we only really examine the tragic cases of, you know, the childhood stores or now, you know, whatever, drug addicts or well, whatever. Right. But the regular guy, you know, the regular star that just fades back into life, you know, that, there's never really been any kind of examination of that, you mm-hmm. know, like, and this is this guy and, and he's adrift. He's first of all, he's emotionally stunted because he's mm-hmm. never had to do any single thing for himself. Right, right. You know, they arrange the hotel, they arrange mm-hmm. the apartment, they yep. arrange the, his mm-hmm. life is arranged. Mm-hmm. And and secondly, mm-hmm. he becomes a star at such a young age that he doesn't know, he doesn't have anyone in his background, including his own father, mm-hmm. who he doesn't think is you know, aligned with him or loves him because of what he does, not who he is. Mm-hmm. And as he retires, he is, he's faced with this idea, and it's, and it's a line he actually uses. He will always be identified as who he was, mm-hmm. not who he is. Yes. That overpowers everything. Yeah. And he'll move forward in this life always being who he was. And can we say today with the news of Tom Seaver announcing his dementia at age 74, the story is not about what happened to Tom Seaver over the past 30 years. I think it ended in 1992 when he retired. Yeah, brilliant point. Brilliant point. All he is is the guy we remember. What happened since? You know, there's a big empty hole. By the way, Tom Seaver didn't retire in 92. I think it was 83. I just didn't want to start getting nasty phone calls. Yeah, I don't remember. (laughs) I I don't remember. I think he retired with the White Sox. But go, go ahead, Mike. 
Mark, sorry. Yeah. So, so, um, so that that's an interesting character study. Mm-hmm. And so Joe Grudick, adrift, reaches out for a girl in high school that basically rejected him, mm-hmm. that he thinks is the only person that's been authentic in his life. Right. And uh, and and he's trying to get involved with her. Right. Now. The book opens with the blacksmith, Horace Muller, jumping up on Joe Grudick's stage with a long-handled hammer and smashing his plaque during wow. the induction ceremony. And Joe Grudick has no idea who this guy is why? or why he's doing this, except back when he was a minor leaguer, a 19-year-old kid, he had an event with two local teenagers at some minor league ballpark girls mm-hmm. who wanted him to buy him beer mm-hmm. and get drunk mm-hmm. with him and he has his me too moment that's mm-hmm. haunting him mm-hmm. ever since mm-hmm. and he's afraid that in this day and age it's going to come out mm-hmm. by the way the book was in production long before the me too mm-hmm. movement the book's mm-hmm. been out since july mm-hmm. you know the other interesting thing about the book is Horace Muller is basically the Trump voter, mm-hmm. and okay. the book was also in production before <laughs> Trump, uh, you know, was running for president. Wow! wow. So this book's—you've been this has been in your mind for sure. few years now. Yeah, yeah. the book was public. The book was uh, my. I had an agent begin to represent the book. Uh, was it? Yeah, three years ago in April. Oh wow! Wow. And he said to me at that time. It's going to be a tough sell because nobody wants to read a story about two disillusioned middle-aged white guys. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's because you guys, the literary world, <laughs> don't put anything out for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you know, Donald Trump began to gain momentum, I said, you see? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. They're out there, right? Yeah. And, and so Horace Muller is basically – that's who he is. He's basically the guy who says, let's mm-hmm. make America great again. This is something's going off the rails. Yeah. So how do people uh, buy the book? Oh, it's on Amazon. It's okay. it's at Barnes and Noble. It's a major. It's a major uh, release. It's a Simon and Schuster this is, book. This is great. This yeah. is Now we always have to ask. You know, um, what's next? Is there another book in your mind that you yeah, want to uh, actually, announce here first? Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> writing a book now that I I absolutely love and I think is a great subject. It's about police PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned through my work that you know the urban cop is pretty much under the same stresses as a guy who's in warfare mm-hmm. because you don't know who the enemy is. Mm-hmm. You only know there's a lot of guns out there. Yeah. You don't know if any situation that you walk into can turn bad. Mm-hmm. And the stresses of that are enormous. Now, I'll give you an example. The Nork police, for instance, mm-hmm. have 750,000 contacts a year with the public. That means arrest warrants, mm-hmm. traffic tickets, mm-hmm calls for help, mm-hmm. all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 750,000 times they're, they're called out or they, they interact with mm-hmm. the public. Mm-hmm. How many of those turn deadly? How many of those turn uh, bad in any way? And what, is, what are the chances that they could have? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, last year, yeah, the Newark police took 600 guns off the street during the commission of crimes. Mm-hmm. That's a stunning fact. Yep. During, the com- during the commission of crimes. Mm-hmm. And now that crime could have been 
a, a traffic stop. Mm-hmm. But every time you approach a car, you don't know if somebody's bootlegging a nine millimeter and right. they got warrants enough warrants out where they're going to shoot you. Right. So is the, is the book uh, is it a novel or is it more of a no? It's a, a novel, okay. and, and the, the the book is about a guy who goes from a suburban police department where he's basically a protect and serve cop, mm-hmm. and he goes to uh, to work in a homicide unit in Newark or Essex County, mm-hmm. and what he sees uh, impacts him in the most devastating way as it does the city cops too mm-hmm. but it's just not yeah. as it's just not as clear cut um he's like a uh, like a little young deer yeah like you know just who's yeah. just getting thrown into this for them the rest of them it's just life yeah. yeah and and he and it cheapens his own sense of life and the way nobody else has respect for life on the streets right mm-hmm. right and there's an African American detective who's his who is his partner, mm-hmm. who eventually has so much despair that he commits suicide. Um, this cop, the uh, cop from the suburbs, uh, after the suicide, returns to his hometown and realizes that like he's different. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not the protect and serve guy anymore. He's mm-hmm. the guy who cuffs you, makes sure make sure you bang your head getting in, into yeah, the car. Yeah. He's he's a guy who's now thinking that, you know, you know, humanity sucks. Yeah. He's the guy he never thought he would be or want to be. Yeah, exactly. And things unravel because of that. And that book is all yeah. but finished. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping to uh, get that, get a deal with that as soon as I can. Do you have, a, ti- do you have a title on it yet or, or you don't want to say it? Um, I wrote a I wrote a piece back in 2011 called The Killing Cycle. Mm-hmm. That was about the Essex County Homicide mm-hmm. Division, and um, I want to call the book that mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the detectives from that from that series is a guy who just retired, named uh, Mike DeMeo, and I wrote a column about him in September upon his retirement about what it did to him, mm-hmm. and the fact that over his career he'd probably seen a thousand bodies. God. Over twenty years of working mm-hmm. homicide, you know, because he was you know lead detective, mm-hmm. thousand bodies, mm-hmm. and by the way, they go out on everything. They go mm-hmm. out on anything that might look like a homicide. So right. floaters in the lake, yep. house burns down. Yep. You know, I don't know why people do this kind of job. It it's has to amazing. be. It has to be a calling. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what it is. <laughs> it's certainly not. You yeah, know, we always think of cops as like, oh yeah, they're all uh, sitting around yeah. donut shop yeah. twenty years and out. Let me tell you, these guys are like battle scarred. And it's funny, like, you know, I live in Scotch Plains, Fanwood's right next to us. All the Fanwood cops do is wait for people to, like, pass through yellow lights. Yeah. That's their lives. Yeah. And that compared to right. Irvington, Newark, East yeah. Orange. Yeah. Um, by the way, in the couple minutes we have left, is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything else you wanted to cover? No, I think um, I just would like to say something about Gods of Wood and Stone in, okay. in the book. Because mm-hmm. it really is, you know, it's a deep novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I it's not... It's not a baseball book. Uh, it's a it's a book about you know modern manhood and masculinity, fatherhood, uh, sort of the built-in alienation that men feel, you know, even in a family where you know mother is the mother. You know, she gave life to the kids, and you know sometimes as a father you feel like you know there's them and then there's you. There's mm-hmm. this just inherent uh, loneliness I think among men. Um, and, and the book is about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so 
you know, men that have don't read mm-hmm. have picked up this book and they've just been stunned, like at how it speaks to them. Wow. Surprisingly, um, I have spoken in front of several groups of all women book clubs, mm-hmm. and I've had the same reaction. Like this, this book is tremendous, and it taught them something about men that they kind of always suspected but didn't really know. Yeah, I mean, I would think we are not generally permitted or expected to be lonely. Right. That's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's really an interesting book. I mean, I'm real proud of it. And, uh, you know, um, it's, you know, again, it goes back to the whole popular culture thing. It's very hard to pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. It's not a sports book. Mm-hmm. It's not a mystery. It's not a love story. It's not, it, it's, it's, it's literature. It's accessible literature mm-hmm. uh, geared for men. Which is suicide, right? Right. <laughs> you know, as right. A writer. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, you know it, it's suicide. You know, but you have to fill the void. I mean, there's That's enough it. other books out there on, on a bunch of other things. So I, I look forward to reading this thing and having a fob conversation with you about it. I appreciate my official signed copy. Yeah. Um, and um, I really want to thank you for coming on. It's, it was absolute pleasure oh, it's great it's always great Thanks, talking Tom. to you i usually end up talking to you at a bar every couple of years yeah, catching yeah. up with you so um, yeah. next time we'll do it there well, you should tell your listeners that we used to share uh where was it? in cranford right that little office where i would write the oh, yeah. i wrote my features and you were a news columnist uh, you were a news reporter and i was sent down there in the early 90s to uh yeah it yeah. was it was woodbridge yeah it was the kislak building okay and i remember you came down as a columnist and you would walk around and go all right what do you guys have do you have any stories for me any story ideas yeah and i remember i pitched a couple and you're like what is this freaking 20 year old kid now no that's not true <laughs> that's not true i always listened always listened okay. well listen we're, we're here uh, again with uh, mark diono um author journalist um whose latest book is gods of wood and stone available on barnes and noble and amazon please buy it and thank you very much for being on our podcast thank you john it's my pleasure thanks very much i appreciate it The Jaffe Podcast is a production of Jaffe Communications, which is solely responsible for its content. Episodes may not be reproduced or rebroadcast without permission. Our executive producer is Jonathan Jaffe. Our editor and production manager is Josh Frank. And our theme song was composed by David Siste. For more episodes, visit jaffecom.com or find us on Facebook at Jaffe Communications. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.